Welcome to the Feed for Service podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today's guest, Dr. Todd Snyder. Todd's going to tell us all about part of the mental components necessary to be a successful practicing dentist and how failure is to be welcomed, not afraid of, and what fear does to most of us. It's a fascinating conversation. Todd's a fabulous guy. I think you'll all get a lot out of it. Today's pro- today's podcast, again, is brought to you by Kettenbach. Imagine one product for every cementation protocol. It's now available. It's a hydrophilic adhesive cement and a hydrophobic core buildup material. It's all in one product that's called Vesalis Semcore. Check it out. Call Kettenbach at 877-532-2123. Ask for Dan. They'll have a rep in your area. Great company, great product. Or online is Kettenbach, K-E-T-T-E-N-B-A-C-H dash D-E-N-T dot U-S. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. If you like the episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, like, all that good stuff. Have a good one. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. We have a special guest. Dr. Todd Snyder is with us. I'll give you a little background in a second, but I want to thank again, Dr. Nicole Vane, our number one referral source for our podcast guest. Nicole, thanks a million. And we've had great ones as a result. Dr. Snyder is a graduate of UCLA School of Dentistry and the FACE Institute. He created and co-directed the first ever two-year graduate program in aesthetic and cosmetic dentistry while at UCLA. The 77th accredited fellow of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, a diplomat of the American Board of Aesthetic Dentistry, and a fellow in the International Academy of Dental Facial Aesthetics. I think you're getting the trend here. You can figure this out, right? International author, lecturer, and a consultant to dental companies, He owns a software company and an online dental training program called www.legion.dentist. He hosts a weekly podcast, Delusional, Winning the Weekly War of Dentistry. And I know that's a good one. He has also a professional race car driver and entrepreneur. Well, you got to be an entrepreneur if you're in all this, man. He practices cosmetic and restorative dentistry in Laguna Niguel, California, hopefully I didn't butcher that, and Las Vegas, Nevada. Please welcome Dr. Schneider. Todd, how you doing, man? Doing well, Sonny. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year to you, and I apologize. We were supposed to get this together earlier. I, of course, dropped the ball. Not going to be the last time, but um, I apologize and appreciate you taking the time out to share with us. So 
How you doing? Everything good? Everything's great. Starting off running. Yeah. Uh, good New that's Year. That's great. I know everybody's concerned with the, you know, all oh, the recessions coming in 2023, and that's seems to be a common topic. But let's talk a little bit. First, give us some background. So UCLA School of Dentistry, where you, where'd you grow up? You know, I grew up in Southern California. Um, it's funny. I spent, you know, 53 years here in Southern Cal and, you know, it was nice that I got to go to school close to home and whatnot. Uh, UCLA was great, you know, growing up in Los Angeles basin, you could say. Uh So, um, yeah, you know, I've seen a lot of ups and downs in the economy and I, you know, I've watched businesses, you know, rise and fall over the years of California. And, you know, this is no different this coming year. I I think we're in for an interesting ride, but you know, we've all been through rides before. I'm in New York, so I understand the roller coaster oh, ride <laughs> that happens in some of our, uh, we'll call them interestingly managed states. That's the yes. best way I can call it. <laughs> so, so how'd you grow up? Film me a little bit. What was your background? Brothers, sisters, parents? Uh, you know, uh, older brother, younger sister, uh, parents, uh, both uh, college educated, dad's, you know, Harvard Business School grad and has run businesses and and mom had had done some of her own businesses as well or combined with with my dad and, and uh two of them uh you know pushed us to obviously you know get a good education and work hard and good work ethic and so my brother and sister both went to USC and got their business degrees and the future of fee for service dentistry is based in membership patients if you need help starting your membership plan or if your plan is too big for your team to manage Visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Ooh, you know, so I, I guess UCLA. I'm the oddball that went to UCLA, but uh, little rivalry shown me well. <laughs> yeah, UCLA just beat USC pretty good yesterday on the hardwood. Um, <laughs> Mick Crone is doing a good job out there. So yeah, yeah. So so with that background, right? That's fascinating. So both of your parents have like that business. We'll call it savvy. Mm-hmm. Was that part of the discussion? Did, did they bring you into their world at all with that stuff as a young kid? You know, it's a good question, but surprisingly, I don't remember ever having that conversation, but I think just a lot of the, the work ethic, you know, obviously in, invariably comes out. So like at a young age, if I wanted something, it's like, well, then you have to work to get it. Um, so I had a paper out, you know, starting in fifth grade at what age of 11, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and I had that all the way through till the ninth grade. So, you know, I get up at four or five o'clock in the morning, go down to the paper yep. and house and call it and, uh, you know, the garage. hold them, stack them in your bags and ride your bike in the darkness and throw them. And then you got to go collect the money each month yep. from people. So, you know, it teaches you a lot about, you know, work ethic and getting things done and being committed to something. Um, but yeah, any, anything I wanted, I pretty much had to go get now granted they did they did things for me. Don't get me wrong, but it, it was, I think a very good work ethic to teach someone like, Hey, if you want that bad enough, then you need to go find a way. Uh-huh. So no, like, you know, like take your son to work days or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, thank goodness. No. Cause I think my dad was commuting like an hour or two a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting. Cause Howard Ferran grew up, right. His dad was a, um, franchise owner you know so he said a lot of times at the dinner table he was talking about you know supply chain problems and you know the employees and you know everything else and, and you know marketing and you know uh car, car counts and all that kind of stuff so i was like oh my god you you were you were swimming in it you know and he had all sisters and stuff so 
Just fascinating. What, what did your uh, siblings get into? Well, so uh, brother and sister, like I said, both went to business school at USC. And so my brother, he worked for a company um, for a while, and now he's running his own. He started his own company, is running it. Uh, sister worked for someone else also, and now she too has created her own company and running it. So yeah, I guess to some extent, all all three of the kids are running their own businesses. Yeah, entrepreneurial spirit. I yeah. mean, I, I had a gal that I coached. And she was a phenomenal athlete. So I coached girls basketball in high school. And um, she was a three-sport all-state performer. That, that's how good she was. And she wanted to go to dental school. Um, and her dad was like, no, there's no way. And, and, and it just was like, to me, growing up in my environment, that would never be thought. That would never be a thought. It would be just like what you said. You want to do that? Then here's what you got to do to go do it. I, I just was mind boggled. And sure enough, she ultimately did it. Like I had no question in my mind, this kid's a competitor and she'll, she'll figure it out, you know, but I just, I just find that, you know, that the environment sometimes that we grow up in just, it's just mind boggling when it's so opposite of either your background or what have you. And I'm sure you in, in your, in your businesses and stuff come across a lot of other colleagues that just have this, dark cloud right like oh you can never be a successful i mean what do you say to somebody like that that comes to you like oh ty you know i i, I can't make it and you know kind of like you know they're carrying their you know th their glass isn't half empty it's there's a drop left you know kind of thought mentality well it's funny you say that because i think anyone who's played sports recognizes that you know things are going to be hard and you have to push through adversity and you got to pick yourself up when you fail yeah. And I think that's lacking from a lot of people's kind of uh, mental capacities, let's say. But, um, you know, the other thing is that the majority of people in this world fear things. And in, mm -hmm. in my mind, the acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. And so most of us think the worst when we have no rhyme or reason to think that way. And part of that's programmed into us, you know, into the amygdala, basically, you know, the call it like the pre-croc brain, that the first thing in life is to protect yourself. And so the brain tells you things to try and protect you, which is fear. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to recognize that 90% of the time fear is false, you start to think differently and push through things differently. But, uh, you know, I, I ask anyone that, you know, in all my consulting and teaching programs, it's okay. You know, you claim you can't do something. Why? You know, have you tried it? And they're like, well, no. Well, then again, how do you know you can't do something? Mm -hmm. And then usually it's an instant smoke screen of lies of like, well, such and such tried it and it didn't work. And I'm like, well, are you such and such? Right. And how committed were they to getting the job done? Did they have goals? Did they have plans? Did they have accountability? You know, did they have the knowledge and skills? Did they have the right tools or weaponry? You know, there's a lot of things that go into it, but most of the time we want to just roll over and say, oh, I couldn't do it. And then we instantly start fabricating various types of lies or stories to protect yeah. our ego and our, our appearance as far as why we couldn't do something. The Doc Sites provides affordable and effective websites for dentists with no long-term contracts, transparent pricing, and great customer service, starting at only $59 a month. They also provide optional online marketing packages to help increase your online visibility. For special offers, including up to 25% off your website setup, text Fee for service to 818-489-9823. 818-489-9823.
This is a limited time offer, so text now and lock in your savings and visit DocSites for more information. Yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You've got yeah. it. Argue for your weakness, they become it. You know, like, so, so true. You know, it just, it's fascinating. And it, it, it takes it to the next level, you know. And and I'm sure in consulting, that's, you know, that's got to be a very common denominator. You know, it's some people that I know that are in it, like the person comes and he's like, let's do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, come on, what, you, what, you, what are you talking to me for? Huh? Like, <laughs> you already got the answers, right? You're like, Okay. Oh gosh, but you, you are right about the other thing. So, so talk about now when you finish. Where did you go to college, by the way? Undergrad? Did you go to also UCLA? I went to UC Riverside. So I grew up in Riverside, okay. just south okay. of Los Angeles, about fifty miles. All right. So then, so like you said, Southern California guy, and then UCLA. Were you always thinking dentistry, or were you thinking business as well, or did it just how that work out? You know, it, it's funny because I like building models and, and fabricating things. So hence dentistry fits right into that. But I wasn't thinking that way. It wasn't until I had braces that my mom was saying, hey, you know, look at this business. You you can be your own boss. You can do your own thing. Or heck, the team does most of the work. The doctor doesn't do much. Yeah, but he makes a truth. nice you know amount of money. And so I was like, okay, orthodontics sounds good. Uh, you know, and then getting exposed to specialties in dental school, I decided orthodontics just wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I had a mentor at UCLA that, you know, was a, a big speaker and, you know, written books and articles and things. And he pulled me under his wing and showed me prosthodontics and cosmetics. And and I thought that was phenomenal because you get to play MacGyver every day to figure out how to put things back mm -hmm. together. So that, that, that fit who I was mm -hmm. and it still does to this day. Yeah, tinker. Yeah, it's, you know Jeff Hoos talks about that all the time. It's like it's fascinating how you have to, you have to use that brain to think. Okay, think outside the box. You know, you come in like, you know, an implant, a broken off screw, or something. You know, something that was done maybe even unconventionally that worked, and now you've got to, you know, MacGyver it. You know, it's I, I I personally love it. Like I just you know I'm 59 and I'm thinking this is great. Like, why would anybody do anything else? You know, it's just, this is just funny. So, so you, so you're fortunate though, you, you know, you're going to say it, but you're not playing at a little seed, which was smart, right? Hey, this is not a bad little business, which is cool. And, uh, and, and a lot of people think that too. Like I've had, a, I've had a ton of people I've either coached or been around that have gone on to dental school and it's almost like, well, geez, he's having fun. He coaches, he got this lifestyle. Why don't you do that? You know, so be it. I think it's great. You know, I think more positives is, is, is the better. So, so when you start in dental school, were you thinking Dennis, were you thinking orthodontics because of that or what was? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, it's funny because uh, the, one of the other dental students, at UCLA, I had grown up with and had known since grade school and played water polo together in high school. And we both graduated, I shouldn't say graduate, we both left UC Riverside as third year juniors with no degrees and got into UCLA. We were roommates all the way through dental school, basically. And we both thought we wanted to be orthodontists. And he is an orthodontist. And I segued in my sophomore year and said, nope, I'm going cosmetics and restorative. Nice. Now, did they give you, like, did they grant you your undergrad after one year of dental school? Because I had a friend of mine, they did that for it. Surprisingly, I asked them if they wanted to give me an honorary degree, and they said, no, you had to finish your units. And I said, well, I don't really need the BS anyway. <laughs> wow. So you don't, they, you never officially got an undergrad? Yeah, I have no BS here. Oh, it's, that's good on both counts. Um, my one buddy, who actually sat next to me alphabetically, Tim Strelka, 
he was a Canisius grad, which in Buffalo is right down the street from UB. And they made him go back. So he was taking some classes. So when he graduated dental school, he graduated dental school on a Friday. And then he graduated college on a Saturday. I was like, how does he? I, I just, in my, I, I know he did a lot of it in the summer, but I was like, oh my goodness, that's insane. My other buddy, Richie, was an NYU grad and he didn't graduate. He did three years. He was going to go to the dental school right in. He said, I don't want to go to NYU. He came to Buffalo and then they granted him his diploma after his first year of dental school, which just makes sense. I mean, right. give me a break. But you know, you know what it is, right? It's that you get that check in their hands. Yeah. So you're in dental school, sophomore year. You think you think uh, dentistry. Now your mentor that you mentioned, did you meet him that early, like your first year of dental school? Oh, uh, I think I met him the second year. Uh, we, they were teaching uh, porcelain stacking. <laughs> yeah, right. You did that too. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we did. And it was, sometimes we were fortunate enough to get the the lab tech in the school to do your actually porcelain. Usually he did anteriors. He didn't do any of the other ones. Right. Uh, yeah. So we did all our lab work too. That's that's a that's a that's a that's a kind of a bad thought memory there. <laughs> so so you're in dental school, and then you're now you're going into your senior. What are your thought processes now? Are you thinking, okay, a I'm going to be a business owner. B What do I got to do to learn the business part of dentistry? Uh, did you do some prep prior to that? What was your what was your your track now? Junior senior year. Oh, excuse me. They call it third and fourth year now. They don't go junior, senior. Your third and fourth <laughs> year in dental school. What were your thoughts? You know, I I don't think dental school prepares you for coming out. No, you know, no. They obviously teach you nothing in regards to business. They might tell you what an HMO and a PPO is, but for the most part, they give you no training because it's not on a board exam or... You know, yeah, or yeah. It's, it's not, not what not you need to get a license, you. right? Yeah. It's not what you need to be licensed. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking, hey, I, I want to be a prosthodontist. And in looking at prosthodontic graduate programs, I didn't see one that was current enough on main, you know, mainstream cosmetics and restorative. Really? It was all still kind of old school technology. Wow. And so I, I basically said, okay, I'm not going to do that. And that's when I found FACE, mm -hmm. which is full panographic nathological tracings and occlusion. And that was really what I wanted to get out of a prost program. And, uh, and so having taken that as about a seven month program, like you meet once a month for like five days, uh, I got all that I ever could want out of that. That was, that was life-changing, but as now, far where, as where running, was that? A, where, where did you get that training? Well, it used to be run out of Burlingame, uh, San Francisco area. It's now okay. out of, uh, Tarzana out of aesthetic professionals, Bruce Crispin's facility there in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, but as far as business, you know, there, there wasn't any business training per se that I took. I think it, it all came back to, you know, kind of the paper boy of, you know, you, you got to make it happen. You got to learn some things. And so you, you start piecemealing different pieces together, but ultimately it's like, well, I provide a service, you pay a bill. I think the hardest part for most of us is, you know, when you start getting insurance involved in all the convoluted ways, they try to keep your money or pay you peanuts and patients, their mindset oftentimes is that insurance covers everything and they don't have to pay for something. Yeah. Right. So as simple as that is, you start to figure out, okay, well, we need to have some better communication so that patients understand what they're getting or what they're not getting for their hard-earned money. And to explain that, you know, a dentist is not a dentist, that everyone is uniquely different in the artistry and skill set materials they use. 
you know, and, and so when you start to communicate differently, people start to perceive things differently and oftentimes find that, hey, I've never experienced someone like this. And so, you know, you start to grow and embellish upon things you've found and things that are working well, and you, you know, push more in those areas. It's amazing what you can start to find and build and create as far as systems that work in a business. And so that's, that's one of the things we've replicated and basically have taught to other people. And that's why Legion exists is to teach people like, how the heck did I do something from scratch in a busy beach town with lots of dentists to be fee for service from day one and not take insurance? Like, how do you do that? Because most dentists will say you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that's the common denominator. That's the common uh, sentiment, we'll say. So you just jump to the next step, which is nice. This is a good segue. So <laughs> you you graduate and you're going to open up a de novo from scratch in a busy dental town, Southern California. So well. I'll back it up just to hear because I left a few things out. So obviously I pra I was an associate. You know, I okay. practiced for a few people. Uh, I did a GPR for a year down at a, a VA hospital in La Jolla and just, you know, getting your hand speed up and learning some, some more dentistry. But that mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, learning more dentistry isn't going to make you successful. It's learning business and systems and learning how to communicate as far as I'm concerned. So in, in working for, I don't know, six, seven different dentists, you know, you pick up good things and bad things. Or you recognize what you don't want in this world and you, the ways you don't want to practice. Mm -hmm. Which is almost as valuable as what you do want to do. I, I would say to some extent it's more valuable I uh, because I think, you know, you learn through problems. And if you never found problems, then you didn't really learn. I agree. Mm -hmm. And and I would say, and I've said this before, out of the, I don't know, say eight offices I worked for, I probably was fired from six out of eight because I was very opinionated as far as how I wanted things to be done, that I would not cut corners. I would not sacrifice a patient's health for money. I would not put in inferior work because someone asked me to cement their crown that didn't fit right. I just wouldn't do those things. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I wasn't good at root canals, so I wouldn't do those either. So people wanted more production and I wasn't providing it. So they, they'd fire me. And I was fine with that. Um, and so at some point I said, you know what, I've seen enough. I know enough of the good stuff and the bad stuff. I'm opening my own office. I'm tired of this stuff. And me, and that's where we get to the point me, of saying, okay, I'm going to go move to Orange County and open. I, I got to ask you a question there. Cause I think that's, it's very important. Cause I think you said a couple things that hopefully people didn't miss. You were fired and I was fine with that. Right. So, so there's, there's no self-esteem issues whatsoever, but how did you, how, how did you how did you get to that? You had to have some second guessing and some doubts, right? Okay, I, I've learned this, but but you know, anytime someone you know fails, you know, on surface fails, I'm fired. It's a it's a shot, it's a hit, it's a it's a bang to the ego. How did you how did you handle that? And then obviously, how did you bounce back? But how did you handle that personally? First first off, well, I, I think anytime you have failures in life, it teaches you a lot. And so in my mind, you need to have failures and, and someone needs to, you know, impart in you that failure is okay. It's acceptable because you've learned from that. And now you're stronger, you're more calloused, you have a better mindset, you have a stronger mental fortitude. And so whether it was in sports failing and having to learn how to work harder and train more to be better, faster, stronger, whatever it was, uh, in the business of paper route, you know, like learning how to be more efficient to get the job done in a timely manner because time is money, uh, you know, all of those things. But then in the, for the same token, you could say, all right, well, you know, working for the first job that you get fired from, 
I'll even back up one. You know, I, I failed, I think, at least two classes in dental school. I'd never failed a class before in college or anywhere. I'd always gotten A's and whatnot, but now you're with the creme de la creme. And, you know, if you fail a class, it's like, whoa. I mean, I was in tears. I was, I was ashamed, you know, like so many things that, that went through your head. And it's like, well, you know what? It's just like anything. You've learned that, unfortunately, taking 14 classes in a quarter is pretty challenging. You, may, you might need to learn how to train differently for that test. Okay, so you learn. You get another opportunity. There is no failure until you choose to no longer play the game, right? Mm-hmm. So say that, say that one more time. I think people need to hear that again. Say that again. There's no failure. There's no failure until you choose to. God, I don't even remember exactly how I said it. You have to re- play back. playing the game. Right? Failure doesn't happen until you give up, right? right. Yeah. There is no such thing as failure. Yeah. That, right? That's, that's so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. So you keep trying. Mm-hmm. And and so whether that was then, whether it was, um, you know, opening an office and, and yeah, having, of course, I'm going to have questions in the back of my mind, but you don't let fear creep in. It's like, okay, well, so long as I don't give up, I will win. Now that meant sleeping on the floor in my dental office, you know, three nights out of the week. I didn't have a home. I didn't have an apartment. You know, uh, if I wasn't there, I was on a friend's couch or a floor on my sister's apartment, you know, like you did whatever you had to do. I remember sleeping in campgrounds in the back of my car. Uh, it's funny because you hear the stories of our, our parents or grandparents saying, well, I had to you know, walk to school in the snow uphill both ways. And, <laughs> and, and it's like, well, yeah, in fifth and sixth grade, I used to have to walk or ride my bicycle a number of miles to <laughs> grade school <laughs> and carry a big, heavy saxophone, you know, like in grade school. And, and here it is like now it's like, okay, I'm sleeping on floors. I'm doing whatever it takes. It's like, I can make it through it. Unless I give up, I will win. I I will outwork whomever to make it happen. And that's a mindset I think that's just come with time. And that's what I try and impart in other people. But this is like, okay, so I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to just, you're a successful person, okay? And this journey to your success, you're really kind of giving, painting a picture here, which is reality. And you know, I, I always talk to, I talk to different people at different times and they're like, yeah, I started, you know, and people aren't showing up. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like, are, are you, how hungry are you? And what are you doing to create that? Are you willing to sleep on the floor in your office for three days? Because you're all in, you know, I use the ham and egg analogy, right? So in ham and eggs, right? The, the chicken's involved, but the pig is committed. Like, are you committed? Right. And it sometimes it resonates, you know, like I get it, but a lot of people, I'm not willing to pay the price. You know, it's not going to, no one's going to hand it to you. I, I fully believe that. I, I just love, I mean, I, I'm really enjoying this conversation. The, you know, that there's a tenacity and there's a grit. Have you ever taken that a grit test, a grit score? No. Uh-uh. Oh man. Yeah. You ever read that book by Angela Duckworth, Grit? I don't believe I have. You, you should write a damn chapter really? in it. You should write half the book. Holy cow. I mean, because what you're describing is exactly that. Failure, it, it's not a, It's not something that stops you. It's something that it will change you. You learn from it. You move forward, right? You, as long as you keep moving forward, that's fine. So, 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 so I'm picturing you. You're sleeping on the floor in your office. You started from scratch. You've been fired from multiple, multiple jobs. Most people would say, oh, my God, what am I doing wrong? I need to start doing root canals. I need to start doing what they teach me. I need to cement that shitty crown. I need to do all that stuff because that's what the, the, that's what the outside people are telling me, right? That's what 
is perceived success. But you're committed. You're the pig. You're committed. I love it. So you're all in. How is it now that you go from opening scratch, sleeping on the floor, to where you're at now where you're ready to open up another office from scratch? So talk about that growth now in your first year. Well, you know, let me, let me, so growth in my first year yeah, propelled me now 23 years later to build another office from scratch. Yeah. Well, no, no, just in that first year, I mean, just going from zero oh. to at least meeting your needs, right? Yeah. Well, the way I see it is, okay, it's, I, I've burned the, the boat that brought yeah. me there, right? I cannot turn back. It's, it's it. either sink or swim. Yep, and so I've got an, an overhead nut of, let's say, 30000 40000 a month, and I have zero patients. I have one employee that I hired, and she does everything with me. And what, what I found was, okay, if I could get six to 10 patients a month from me with all the time I have not treating anyone to go out and meet people and talk to people and communicate a message that attracts people that pulls them in, draws them in, wanting to know more about something that they think they know something about, and yet they really know nothing, that being dentistry and their oral health. Yep. Now, who gives me a podium? Where can I have the most number of people to talk to? Rotary, Kiwanis, uh, Chamber of Commerce, Commerce uh, PTA, you know, anywhere I can go stand in front of a podium of people uh, for 15 to 30 minutes and show them something they've never seen that attaches to them emotionally, that draws them in wanting to know more about either making themselves have less pain, more freedom, more, more confidence, uh, less, less discomfort, less money loss over time, uh, you know, more freedom and, and fun in life. And by showing them that, it's like, wow, like my dentist didn't talk about this or, you know, 50% of people don't have a dentist. It's like, okay, well then I want to go talk to this guy. He must know what he's doing. And so that draws people in. And if you can do that regularly, you know, come four to six months later, you've got, you know, 40, 60 patients that are now coming back on recall that you get to see again and get them to, again, go out into the world and tell other people if you've asked them to send other people like themselves, that you value them, you like their personality, and they must hang out with other great people like themselves. I want more of you to come to me. Please refer, and here's here's how you can refer these people. You know, And so if you're doing that, you find that at like the nine-month, 12-month mark, you've got enough people, you're paying the bills, you're doing fine. Now, granted, you had to have a line of credit, let's say, or credit cards to Rochambeau at the grocery store to you know, make, make right. food on the table, so to speak. But once you get past that, you realize like, look, I've made it through that. I can make it through any recession, any problem. Like I know how to do this as opposed to working for someone and being guaranteed a stipend or a daily fee that I hear so many dentists wanting to have. It's like, you know what? Until you learn how to fight and feed for yourself, you will never succeed in business because the daily battles will chew you up. You will not win the weekly war. Mm -hmm. You know, the one thing you just said, and I wrote, I wrote it down here, your message to attract people, right? You needed to get that out. And what I heard you say was not what I do, it's what you will get, right? It's not, oh, I do veneers, I do crowns, I do this, we do full mouth rehab. No, no. You're, what you said, you said you're going to be free from pain. You're going to experience this. You're talking about the emotional connection 
and the emotional benefits, not as well as the physical benefits, right? How long did it take you to get to that point? I'm not sure exactly when that date came, but um, to, to sell someone on emotional value, I think has come in the last 20 years of me going outside of dentistry and learning from business people mm-hmm. and motivational speakers and whatnot. So like Dale Carnegie was the first one. I took a, a communication program with his organization and that was life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when I was associating somewhere else. And that was teaching me more how to communicate a message concisely, but at the same time, attaching that to people. And then from there, listening to other types of, you know, what I listen to audible, I don't read books. I listen to audible. So, uh, you know, listening to other books of people, you know, like Dan Kennedy talking about marketing and communication through, um, sales, you start to recognize that people don't buy things that they need. Oftentimes they buy things because they want it. They feel there's a something that's going to resonate inside them. Hence people buy expensive cars and jewelry and clothing. And yet they skimp on, let's say their uh, oral health care yeah, yeah. And, and other things that are really important because you can't be here on this planet without good health. And yet you want to skimp or you want to allow someone else to pay for it. And you're expecting something from someone else. It, it makes no sense. And so that's when, when you start to learn this, you go, okay, well, I need to speak to someone so that it resonates internally in a, in a way that they see their flaws without me telling them about their flaws, because then it just becomes adversarial, right? Yeah, it becomes defensive, right? Yeah, you put, yeah. You, you put them on the defensive, yeah. Mm-hmm. So learning how to ask questions that draw a person out to be honest with themselves and provide information that, that I can then pose back to them the information they've given me, I pose it back in another way. So they're starting to see things and understand where maybe they should think differently. And based on that, it's like, okay, so can I help you with these things? And so I'm not telling them anything. I'm just asking questions and they're coming to the the conclusions I want based on my line of questioning, based on emotion. And so I call that inception. Uh, Mm -hmm. Based on the movie of planting a seed in someone's mind, their subconscious while they were sleeping, but I'm doing it while they're awake and asking them questions. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of psychology goes into that conversation. What are are some of the questions? You want to touch on some of the questions that you would do on a typical, let's say it's your first recall with someone, you know? Or maybe just your first patient experience. What are some I was going to say it usually starts at the first patient experience because that's where I built. I learned from having no all the time in the world that the more time you spend with people, the more you opportunity you get. As opposed to, you know, the dentists that oftentimes will think that, hey, I'm an insurance. The clock's ticking. I can only run in and, right. and see something real quick, and I got to get out of that room. It's like no, yeah, that's it's, wrong. Yeah, it's because I, patients I are like, willing to pay for quality and for your time. Again, I, I've proven that in Medicaid and HMO offices where dentists have taken time to talk to people and people you would assume don't have the money or whatnot, find the money and make things happen. Mm-hmm. So um, never judge a book by its cover. I learned that in car sales uh, my high school summer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so as far as line of questioning, it's like, you know, hey, why are you here? Mm-hmm. You, know, you could be anywhere. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. And, and so where does that go? It's based on what that patient says, you know, because a lot of times, you know, patients, if they're going to a dentist, they're either in pain or they have a mindset of, I need to take care of myself. And I've been going to a dentist on a regular basis. Now, then you may have the, the comment of, okay, well, if you're at another dentist, 
why here now? What changed? Mm-hmm. And again, listening, you know, what, what has changed? What didn't they like? What was wrong with the experience? And knowing what they had a problem with, now you get to use that to your advantage, either in more communication or the way that you treat them. And so if they didn't like that they were treated like a number, if they didn't like having to wait, if they felt like they were already, always sold something new every year, whatever that was, you now have that information to do something with. And so based on the line of questioning, it's different every time I talk to someone. And, but it's it's always a conversation of what can I find out from them based on what they're telling me and then using that back in another question to expose things. You know, like, okay, so if you said you kept having problems every every year, well, why do you think you'd have problems every year? You know, what's not working in your mouth or what was not working in that office? Why do you think that that happens? And so again, this takes time to, to have a conversation, but you'd be amazed what comes from it. And also patients go like, no one's ever talked to me like this. No one's ever talked to me like, I was just gonna take the words right out of my mouth. No one's ever asked me that. No, no one ever bothered. That was just, you know, oh, we'll just keep an eye on it. So you're building value. Yeah, we're going to watch it. Um, So we're building value. And so then when it becomes time to pay for something, it's like, well, as you can tell, things are a little different here, right? And they're like, yeah. I said, well, my dentistry is the same as I'm spending time with you here. I'm going to treat you like I treat my daughter, my wife, my parents. And I said, that's not something you necessarily find everywhere you go, especially if it's an insurance-driven office, right? It's not to say it can't happen, but it's not as common. And it's, if I would say, if anything nowadays is getting worse. And so they're like, yeah. And I said, so do you think you might have to pay something different because of that? And they're like, yeah. Like, would that bother you to pay for something that you perceive as different and maybe of better value? Now I may have thrown words into their mouth to make, to frame them into thinking a certain way. Right. So I've told them it's going to be more expensive and I told them it's more value and that potentially I'm doing something different. And they go, yeah, I recognize that. And it's like, okay then we can work together. I'm telling them that I'm willing to work with them as opposed to patients think that they're getting to choose they, they're working with us. I choose who I work with. Did any of this, when you were in your residency, did any of this start to happen for you or was it mostly no. when you were in working world? No, in the VA hospital, it was all about just treating people and getting them out the door. <laughs> right. But then, but then your experiences, you said, were, most people would say were not really favorable as an associate. Right. So, and you said you learn, okay, not to do this, not to do that. Where did, where did like, where did you cement your philosophy of care? Where, where did that become? You know, I'd say a lot of this has come over the, you know, over the the 20 something years of just continuing to learn. I mean, every day I try to learn something new and, and every quarter I try to push myself to achieve something different. Um, But every day is learning something. But I will say that from different mentors or different offices I worked at, I knew one gentleman, one dentist, that he basically sat someone up one day and said, Hey, I'm not going to deal with you. If you're, this is where you're going to be, you can go somewhere else. I don't need you. And I was like, Whoa, that was powerful. And the whole room stopped. You know, there was like 10 operatories. Everyone was just like, Whoa, it was very, very well known and seen. The patient's like, no, no, I'm sorry. I want to be here. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I, you know, and I instantly kept that one. And I used that uh, in one of the offices I was working at that this one lady that no one liked treating no one likes seeing her. No one liked taking her phone calls. That's why she's and, in your book. <laughs> yeah. And and so they stuck on my schedule to do something. And I just was like, screw this. And so I sat her up and said, look, lady, I'm not going to take this. You know, if someone else wants to, that's great. I don't care. You know, you can go talk to the owner. You can do whatever you want. You can go somewhere else. I'm like, I will not take this. This is not 
you know, like fair to me as a person. If you want my help, you need to treat me like you would treat your family member. If that's what you treat your family, then we can't work together. And she was like, no, 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 I'm so sorry. I apologize. You know, I'm having a rough day or whatever, like just whatever excuse she had for being rude. And I finished the job and everything was great. What was funny is a couple of weeks or months later when the hygienist had seen her, she's like, what did you do to her? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, she was so polite and nice. I've never seen her like that. And I was like, I just told her the way it is. <laughs> and I left it at that. Uh, and, and I've used that ever since. You'd be amazed. And if someone doesn't want to be there and they give you grief, you're not really making money off them because it's pissing everyone off and no one wants to work and no one's happy that day treating other patients. So what is the ripple by treating that one person? And does that one person bring in other people like them? Again, you don't have to treat everyone. You get to decide in this world. When I first started, the first pra my, my practice when I was on my own in 1991, October 1, 1991, got into the practice and the dentist had an eye injury. So for a period of time, what he did was he just, he opened up his practice to Medicaid and, and, and all of a sudden there was this flood. And when we got there, of course, it was it was crazy busy. And, and, and after a bit, I was like, okay. We need to, and, and I, the Jack Welch book I was reading, I said, we need to follow the Jack Welch theory. We need to get rid of the bottom 10%, right? So I said, so do me a favor, everybody go home, and I want you to come back and give me 100 patients you don't ever want to see again. You know, and honest to God, you know how many of those, those lists agreed? Because <laughs> we had a, a team of six, right? So it was like, I was expecting five or six. No, it was about maybe 150 people when all of a sudden done. I was like... Well, this is pretty simple, you know. It's going to be an easy conversation, but it, you're right; it was uplifting, and it was it was a crazy thought. Why are you doing this? Part of it was also reimbursement and Medicaid, but it was also we can't manage this practice the way it is. You know, we can't do proper dentistry. Even you can't do a hygiene. You can't be doing thirty minute hygiene appointments, stack them back to back, and doing nine hygiene appointments in three in, in you know in in three hours. Like a, this is not happening. You know, so I can't do it. So. We changed that after like a month or so, but it was a funny, uh, you know, personal experience to say exactly what you're saying. It's it's it was freedom, you know, yeah. and it was almost a team bonding experience. Wow, this guy's with us, you know. And how happy was everyone and laughing and having a good time talking about it? Oh, right? it was it really it really I'm telling you, it was a tremendous bonding experience. It was one person who was not on the team rowing in the same direction. And, you know, the following week we knew that and we let her, you know, choose a different choice and, and it wasn't us. So it was good. So we still do this every month, if not every quarter, we evaluate who's there. And is there anyone that really is a problem that we want to remove? Yeah. How often, how much feedback you get? Oh, every, you know, every time we do it, we usually get something like it's not a very big list. It's usually like, oh, gosh, that one person. All right. Let's have a conversation with them or let's just remove them. Mm hmm. Yeah. It is. It's it's freeing. It's freeing. Sure is. And also, the other thing is, this is what I will accept, and this is what we won't accept. So this woman that you just talked about, she found out, oh, they won't accept bitchy Mary, but they'll accept yeah. pleasant Mary, you know? Mm -hmm. and I, I had a conversation yeah. once. It was the husband, and I said, I, we can't see you anymore. Yeah. What about my wife and son? I was like, happy to stay. We love yeah. them, you know? Yep. And, and, they, and they were like almost, and they almost were like, He's not with us. Like, like, yeah. listen, listen, we're not him. That's good. Please. You know, like, I was like, holy cow. I was expecting to get, you know, arrows and sling. They were like, no, that's fine. Get rid of yep. them. You know? We've had those too. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. So, so, so where does your practice go? Do you mind sharing some numbers your first year? Where, what, what do you, what was your practice like at the end of the first year? Cause you said you got, you know, 30, $30,000. So you got 360 a year is what your expenses are. Do you remember where you were at? Yeah, no, I, I think at best we probably broke even the first year. Okay. You know, I I don't think it was like some huge windfall in Southern California. Um, But you're building just to, just to break even in my mind was like, that's a win because I'm on the other side of it. But but you're, but you're, you're talking about you're building in each of these blocks and each of these people become your ambassadors in the community, et cetera. So talk a little bit about your projection and how things have gone from, from that starting point. Well, you know, back then we had yellow pages and magazine ads or articles or whatever. So it was all about guerrilla marketing and finding the free places because, you know, I didn't have the money to spend on other stuff. And what I found was that the more I could communicate, the easier it was to get people in as opposed to hoping and waiting for them to see something that would resonate and bring them in. And so I've learned more and more over the years. Matter of fact, the last 12 years, I have not used a marketing company or a website company. I've done it all myself still because of the value of the internet is you have a voice you can use to attract people. And so as soon as you learn how to attract and communicate, well, then you finally get to do all the dentistry you desire to be doing, you know, mm-hmm. and yet I see most dentists spending more time learning more and more dentistry and how to scan this and print that and machine this and do root canals or whatever. like that's not going to make you more successful because you're still not getting any more patients coming in than what you already have. And so the sooner you recognize as a business to learn how to attract, that is the way to win because you can attract, you know, it's an ATM, you can track whatever you want, and then you get to treat the things you want to be doing, you know? So we call it a trifecta, attract, convert, and deliver. Okay. So talk then about, so you, you've grown your practice. Why, why did you want to go to Las Vegas and open up a second one? What was the impetus for that? You know, it's funny. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. A, I've, I've got houses out here and we moved out here a um, year and a half ago. But, you know, in my professional car race thing, there's a racetrack. My home track is like 45 minutes over the hill from Vegas. And so it's far easier to get to the track more often out here also. Um, but uh, it was also at the same time, it was to prove that the systems that I've kind of created and, you know, taken knowledge from everyone else and built my own, my own system, so to speak, uh, that I can prove you can a open from scratch still, if anything, I'd say it's easier nowadays. Uh, it's also easier because I have more knowledge, but all, but from the same token, people say, Oh, well, I've got to do everything and I got to treat everybody. It's like, no, no, I'm going to treat a very small specific type of audience and I'm going to have one dental chair. And so the number one frustration in, as reported by ADA is employees. So what if I removed all employees had one ch- dental chair and just did certain types of treatment and only worked like four days a month? You know, could you do something like that? And I say, of course you can. Everyone would say, you're crazy. And I said, well, they said I was crazy when I opened my office in Orange County 23 years ago. I said, it's not crazy. If you have a plan and a goal and you're committed to seeing it through, you can't just arbitrarily say, well, I'm just going to do something and hope it works. Like, no, you have to plan. And so, and so part of it was to say, hey, it works. Let me show you and let me train you how to do what I do. But at the same time, I'm trying to simplify my life to create even more freedom that 
that you have by being specific on what you treat and what you do. And that's the same as a business. You know, any business has one specific thing that they do, right? Whether it's Amazon, whether it's UPS, whether it's Pepsi, whether it's McDonald's, they have one specific thing they do. Now we may perceive it from the outside as doing many things, but there is one specific core thing they're trying to accomplish. And that's where I think a lot of times dentists, since they don't have a lot of business savvy, oftentimes you can be successful in dentistry without having much business you know, savvy, so to speak, because everyone needs a dentist and everyone's going to keep coming back. But if you really want to you know, hone it down and say, who does the best? Well, specialists usually do the best because they do one thing. Well, that's what I want to do. I'm going to do one thing, but it's not one procedure. It's just one type of thing for that patient. You just jumped the shark a little bit here. So you said you said the uh, you're gonna you're you're opening an office of one chair, but before we get to that, because I do want I do want to hear a little bit about that. Your practice in Southern California, you said, was a five operatory practice. Yes. Okay. So when you opened up in Las Vegas, what did that practice look like? Did you did you mirror it? Did you say I need five ops? Did you use that model? What did you do? No. So actually we're drawing it right now. I've been working out of a periodontist office using one chair uh, on occasion, like once or twice a month. So we're still building uh, the new facility. But you know, when I opened my office in California, I only put three chairs in. And what I found was before I hired a hygienist, I used one unless you know, we were busy and we left one room dirty and we go to the next room. Right. But in all my years there, I typically work out of two rooms, primarily one. And occasionally I move into the second one because oh, okay. I have to see an exam. And so the hygienist puts the patient in my room for an exam. I don't do exams typically in a hygiene room. Uh, again, I still build in half an hour for a periodic exam because I want to have a conversation. And, and so in, in seeing that, it's like, well, look, uh, you know, I only work out of one room. So why don't I just build an office with one room? And then you go, okay, what are the frustrations in dentistry? Whether it be patient problems, employee problems, insurance issues, eliminate them all, get rid of the problems. And say, okay, well, one chair, no employees, no insurance. Okay, that sounds too good to be true, but how the hell are you gonna pull that off? And you go, okay, well, what if you hired someone to come in two days a week? You know, like that they, they work somewhere else three days and they come in and assist you and, and work for two days and you pay them as an independent contractor. Now you don't have an employee, you don't have payroll taxes and all the other stuff that goes along with it. Well, that makes life easy, doesn't it? And they don't work for you, so you don't have to worry about firing them, do you? Another doctor, you're saying? No, I'm saying a, a, an assistant. Oh, assistant, okay. Yeah, I mean, I could certainly rent the office out too, because now you look at it as, as a real estate play and go, okay, if someone wants to come in and use this state-of-the-art facility, I can double dip on that. While I'm in California, someone can pay to be using my facility here. But how many people have the wherewithal and the mindset and fortitude to want to pull that off? Right. It, it would have to be like a student of mine that, that they see like, oh, I've learned what you've said. I, I want that. And I'll take it over when you leave in 10 years. Okay. So your office in, 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 uh, in Laguna is five operatory practice. And is that going five days a week, four days a week? What, what's the Four days a week. We work on alternative work schedule 10 hours a day. And okay. so front office, hygienist, associate, dental assistant, all that fun stuff. And how, how much time are you in there? I work Monday through Wednesdays. Um, usually Thursday is a travel day to go lecture somewhere on the planet. Um, and, and so the, the staff is still there on 
Thursdays working, but the associate that I have there now, he's there on Wednesday and Thursday and he covers me on Friday and the weekends when I'm out. So oh, I literally so, fly back and forth every week. So your associate works Wednesday, Thursday mm -hmm. in the office. Yeah. So you, you work side by side one day. Then. Correct. Okay. And is this someone, so in bringing that associate in, that changes the model, mm -hmm. right? That goes from everything's running smoothly because we have less hands in the pot, yep. less diagnosis questions, et cetera. How did, how, how, what, what was it like bringing that associate and what were some of the changes that you had to experience? Well, it's funny because this isn't the first associate. I've had others over the years and I tell everyone the same thing. It's like, look, it's sink or swim. You know, I'm not handing you a bunch of patients. I'm not gifting you a bunch of money. I'll show you how to do things. And if you're committed enough, you can make things happen. What I found is most people weren't committed enough and they were waiting for me to hand them patients. Right. And so the dentist that's in there now, Ivan, you know, said the same thing to him. I said, your goal is to get six to 10 new patients each month. That means in the downtime, you're not sitting here twiddling your fingers. You're either on the internet working on your Google business, you're working on your YouTube, you're working on your website, you're working on your Instagram, social media, or you're out talking to Rotary Chamber of Commerce. You're handing out cards to the gas station attendant, the checkout teller, the bank teller, anywhere you go, you're talking to people and handing out cards. Your goal is to hand out a hundred and something cards so that you hope to get, you know, 10 back. And, and so that's what he's doing. Okay. All right. So that that's the model. Now, when you are in Las Vegas, you're working one day then in Las Vegas. So it depends on if I have a patient, I'll go see him at the periodontist office. If I don't, then I'm not working. You know, I'm I'm here working on lectures, articles, and my you know students in my courses. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So you get some idea. So the the genesis of the idea of okay, I'm going to start another scratch office is based on your experience presently as in the periodontist office, right? Yeah. So you so just how much of the practice you have now have you distilled down? to this uh, in California. Yeah. So because you're not going to have hygienists, you're going to have one room. How, how much of that process have you distilled into this practice that you're well, So, you know, basically nothing's changed. I've, I've already proven that I can work, you know, three days a week out of one room. And I said, okay, well, hygiene department isn't really a huge win in, in my mind. And I know some people say it is. It's like, okay, you know, granted, she produces $250,000, $300,000 working three days a week. Great. She takes care of herself and pays for the other employees, but it's not really doing a lot for me. And, and so what I looked at as far as, again, where's the primary income? Well, it, the primary income is when I sit down and do a case. Mm -hmm. And that's what I also enjoy doing. Like we talked earlier, like MacGyvering things. So, okay. So I need to attract people that need bigger things done or have a desire for bigger things to be done so that I can, you know, do what I enjoy doing and give them what they're wanting, providing that value. And if I only have to see a couple patients a month to do so without the headaches of typical dental offices, well, then that should work fine because that's what I've already proven works in the other office. I'm just cutting more of the fat, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but you obviously, like I said, you have to learn how to track that type of patient that is looking for that service 
And then once they get there, you have to communicate in a manner that they feel comfortable and wanting to move forward with you. And then you get to do the work. So do you see this, you do this and then you say, okay, you can go, you know, go get your, your, your preventive maintenance here, come back. We'll schedule you a 30 minute examination with me after that's done. Is that what you see? Yeah. So basically my periodontist, he has hygienists and I like that the periodontist, obviously his whole specialty and mindset is all about maintaining gum and bone and keeping things healthy and clean. And so he's obviously overseeing these hygienists, making sure that everyone's playing to the level that he wants. Right. right. Okay. And so it's like, I know you'll be taken care of very well in that periodontist office. And should there ever be a problem, you're already in the right place. Should there be an issue? Uh, and so again, it's like, okay, well, you can maintain twice a year cleaning, three times a year, four times a year with skating room, whatever it is, you manage that. And then if they see something, they'll let me know. Otherwise, I'll plan on seeing you once a year here, and I'll give you an hour of my time to fully go over everything in a comprehensive exam and talk about where we're going and where you want to be in life in 20, 30 years. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. So we're going to sum up in a, in a couple in, – in a two, in, about five minutes. So I want to go back to one point because I wrote it down. Communication, communication, communication. That is a common thread. And uh, I've had a couple, you know, friends of mine that we've done podcasts specifically on the communication factors. And you mentioned Dale Carnegie. What are some, what, if I said to you, hey, you know, give me top five things, advice that you would give to a young dentist. One I would got to imagine is improve your communication skills. What, what what would be the others? Yeah, I, I'd say the two biggest things that I would take away is, yes, first thing is learn how to communicate. Communicate effectively, not like you think you need to communicate based on dental school where you point at an x-ray and say, you have a cavity, you must get it fixed. Or mm -hmm. you have a cracked tooth, see this photo I took of your tooth, you need a crown. Mm -hmm. Wrong mentality. But that's what most dentists do. And that's why most dentists are in the place that they're at, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that's the first thing. The second thing, learn how to attract. I would say the majority of dentists don't know how to attract. They hire a marketing company. You pay that marketing company a lot of money every month. And after six months to a year, you, you think that, hey, I'm not really seeing a lot of results. And so I'm going to call Dr. Bob and ask him who he uses and try that. And so you keep trying things and spending lots of money and not getting where you want to be. Sounds all too familiar to most dentists right now, especially when it comes to websites and SEO. Yep. You start to learn a few things. It's not that difficult. It's like when someone wanted to teach you endodontics, you know, and you go, well, that's too scary. I, I can't see and I don't know what I'm doing. And then you learn if you've done root canals and you go, okay, I, I can do this. It's not as hard as I thought, but the fear was there in the beginning. Marketing is not that challenging. And nowadays it's pretty easy with the internet. So if you can learn how to market and attract the customers that you want, that, you know, want certain types of services that you offer, life becomes very easy if you can market, right? So those two are the biggest takeaways. I would say be a constant, you know, reader or listener, you know, it's because I listen to books instead of reading them, but, you know, constantly reading and improving on yourself as far as your ability to speak and communicate and market. Those are the two biggest takeaways I could tell you. That's perfect. That's a great way to end it. I mean, if not, if not, if nope, they get nothing else, that's enormous for any practice in any stage, right? I've been doing this a couple of years. That really hits home for me, you know? All right. Last question. Very simple. Has nothing to do with dentistry. It's a fun one, right? 
If you could go back in time anywhere, any place, any time, where would you go? Why? When? Give me some details. Oh, goodness. Uh, the one that stands out, well, there'd be two that stand out, either to go back into like 1997 or 98 when Qualcomm split five for one, I think it was, or something. A lot of people became very wealthy. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it'd be go back to the, you know, Bitcoin 20 years ago when it was like $5. Uh, and, and I'd be a billionaire right now and uh, <laughs> would be having even more freedom and fun than I already do. Which hard to hard to do more, but I know I could. <laughs> That's awesome. So I do have to ask you though, how'd you get into race car driving? You know what? Uh, growing up, always watching it on TV. You know, I always thought it was amazing and wanted to go fast and whatnot. And so when I got out of dental school, you know, I had finally had a couple dollars. Uh, I went and started go karting. And then uh, found that you know that's where everyone starts usually when they're like I don't know six to ten years old to get into Formula One and whatnot. I found really quickly that go-karting can get you into a lot of trouble as a dentist because there's no roll bars, there's no uh, safety belts. And so if you go flying, you know, 20 feet in the air and a hundred feet down the track and break an arm or fingers, you're not doing dentistry on Monday morning. So I quickly moved out of go-karts and started moving into uh, open wheel cars with, you know, uh, seat belts and, and roll bars. And you slowly want to go faster and do different things and progress. And so I finally ended up into prototypes and sports cars, uh, racing professionally based on someone who coached me. You know, I think it's very important in business and in life to constantly seek coaching, to push you and to make you learn and grow and expand. And so my first weekend coaching with this guy, he's like, wow, you're really good. How long have you been driving? I said, no, no, this brand new car, first time driving with you this weekend. He's like, you need to go race pro. And I'm like, I'm late thirties. Like who's going to want me to race? And he's like, no, I got a team. And so Lamborghini North America and a team, uh, a professional race team took me under their belt and said, let's have you out for one race. Did really well, got on the podium. They said, why don't you come race the rest of the season? And the rest is history. I, you know, I, but the hard part is finding the money. <laughs> okay. So I'm a young 30 something doc. I'm making a few bucks. I want it. I want a fast road car. What would you recommend? Well, it's funny you say that because I don't have a fast road car. And everyone always asks like, what do you drive? And it's like, well, I can't drive because there's too many people on the freeway that a, if I'm driving something exotic, they're all going to be rubbernecking me and getting too close. And maybe hit me, but also you can only drive so fast on the highway because all the other cars and traffic. So I drive an SUV, but if you said, Hey, what, if you could have anything and everyone got out of the way, I'd say, oh yeah, I'd get you know, get like a, a Lamborghini Aventador or Huracan, or I'd get a Ferrari, you know, N12 or you know, there's a, or F12, I'd say, you know, or a, a super fast. You know, there's there's definitely cars I'd love to have, but well, the funny thing is, people like that come out to the racetrack, and my little you know hundred thousand dollars prototype. I walk by them like they're standing still because I can go like a hundred plus around a corner, and they got to slow down to like fifty. Cause I just have more downforce and, and you know, I can, t I can load the car up with more G's. So do you want to have fun and go really fast on a racetrack or do you want to just look cool going down the street? I'd rather go fast on the racetrack. <laughs> I do want to put a little plug in both Ferrari and Lamborghini, both Italian companies, just a little plug. Yes. <laughs> they do a great job in Italy. <laughs> All right. Todd, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. I'd like to have you back on. If you don't mind, I'd love to hear how the plan is going and, and progression and how things are moving. And I'd love to come back. Get, 
get a yeah, little bit so, into more of some of the stuff that you're doing online because I know you got a real nice presence and I think a lot of people can learn a lot of things as obvious. Thanks. Well, the funny thing is the whole process that I'm going through as far as proving and showing how I'm doing it, A, I talk about some of it in my podcast, but B, we're making a program around it. We're calling it Rogue. So inside of Legion, there's already a bunch of different training programs that are unique that no one does in dentistry about, you know, businesses, systems, mindset, communication, marketing. But this one will be all about, you know, how did how did Snyder go rogue and create so go that? rogue? I was just going to say go rogue, yeah. baby. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you, Sonny. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Fee for Service Dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee for service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee for Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.